Let's bow our hearts for just a moment. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together in a free nation. We do not take for granted the liberties bestowed upon us. We do not take for granted the lives of men and women that have been lost, that we might enjoy such freedom. But dear Father, we ask you to give us ears to hear today the things that you would say. For we know it's far more important what you would say than what I could ever say. And I ask you to make my tongue as the pen of a ready writer, truly speaking pictures of gold in frames of silver. And dear Father, we vow as always to give you all of the honor. We vow as always to give you all of the glory. And we vow as always to give you all of the praise for the work which has begun in this house. And it shall be completed. For it is in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that we pray and give you thanks. Do you agree with that prayer? Someone say amen. amen. I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the third chapter of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. I was sharing in the first service how in, in, in 2003, as it was the spring of 2003, uh, it was a Thursday morning, I was spending some time praying, and I heard these words come up in my heart. Now the Lord speaks to me the same way he speaks to you. Sometimes folks, you know, they, they, they don't have the realization. It's not that God's not speaking. You just haven't learned how to listen to him. I heard one fellow say this one time, the greatest lesson in life any human being can ever learn is how God speaks to them. And, you know, so many times it's like, you know, a lady, she goes to the grocery store. She thinks, I need ketchup and paper cups. And she thinks, nah, I don't need either one of those. So you just keep on going. You keep thinking, well, I should get some ketchup and some paper cups. Nah, I don't need any of that. And you go home and find out you need both of them. You see, the Lord is desiring to be involved in every single small and major area of your life. But so many times we've never taken the time to learn how he speaks to us. And so this particular Thursday morning while I was praying, I heard these words come up on the inside of me. Grace without holiness is liberalism. Well, I sat and thought about that. It's like you. And as I was thinking about that, I heard these words. It just came up right up on, the, up on the inside of me. Holiness without grace is legalism. Well, then I sat and thought about that. And all of a sudden, I don't know how to describe to you what happened next. I saw the family of God. And I saw a huge portion of God's family polarized or magnetized, like you could say, over in liberalism. And at the same time I saw that, I saw a whole other portion of God's family polarized or magnetized over in legalism. And the sad part about it is that they were at odds with one another. And the Lord rose, just once again just rose up in my heart. If the message does not draw people together, there's something wrong with the message. And then the fourth chapter of Ephesians, the third verse, just came floating up right on the inside of me. It's the unity of the Spirit. And I saw in a flash, when God's Spirit is manifested, His true servants will always be drawn together. Are you listening to me here today? I want to ask you a question. Because we live in a funny world. We live in a funny time compared to any other generation. The Word of God has things to say to a brother. The Word of God has things to say to a sister in Christ. It is, it's instructed us through the centuries, and it's been, I mean like they say, spit, spot, accurate every time. So in this particular generation, is it right to live according to God's principles? I'll say to take it a step further, is it right to live right? 
Here's a world filled with compromise. Here's a world filled with misunderstanding. Here's a world filled with complacency. Here's a world that doesn't understand a believer. A world that does not understand who Jesus Christ really was and what he truly represented. Here's a world that doesn't understand the purpose of a local church. In the midst of that, is it still right to live right? And if so, why is it right? To live right. For you see, the Bible instructs us in so many areas. It tells a man how he ought to treat a woman. Right? It tells a woman how she ought to treat a man. Doesn't it? It tells a parent how they ought to treat a child. It tells a child how they ought to treat a parent. It tells an employee how he ought to relate to his employer. It tells an employer how he ought to relate to an employee. It tells a believer how to relate to a Jew. It tells a believer how to relate to an unbeliever. It tells a believer how to relate to another believer. And the fascinating thing is it's not general terms. He's very specific. Do it this way. Well, is it still right to live right? And if so, why? I've said this for years. If I'm going to base my life upon something, I better understand why. A number of years ago, I was talking to a minister friend of mine. Have you ever had somebody say something to you, and the moment they do it, just brands itself on your heart. It becomes who you are. You almost think you said it. You didn't say it. Somebody else said it. It just became who you were. I mean, just that quick. It just so impacted your life. And he made this statement. We were just talking. He said, if the greatest thing the Father ever did was for the world, then we know that everything else the Father does will be for the world as well. I'm going to say that statement again. If the greatest thing the Father ever did was for the world, then we know that everything else the Father does will be for the world as well. When he said that, something went off on the inside of me. Can I not describe it to you? And it set my life on a quest. See, how many of you believe this is the generation that could see the return of the Lord Jesus? I mean, you really believe it. Put your hand up. You really believe it. Oh, look at that. Do you realize that in nearly every reference to the Lord's return, either in the passage itself or in the context surrounding that passage, the Bible instructs a believer how they, about how they are living their life when he returns? Are you listening to me here today? Did you find 1 Thessalonians chapter 3? Can I give you enough time to get there? <laughs> Amen. Notice here in the third chapter of 1 Thessalonians in the 12th verse. You can almost say it this way. If you are following, remember, Jesus has, you know, he said, if I don't go, the comforter will not come, but if I go, I'll send him, and he'll lead you in certain areas of your life. Now, if we're following his leadership, the Bible says he will specifically lead us in some particular areas. It says here in the 12th uh, verse of the third chapter of 1 Thessalonians that he will make you to increase and abound in love. So if we're following the leadership of the Lord, our love walk, as far as a, as far as a biblical walk of love, will be increasing. It says he'll make us to increase in it and to abound in it. He says in two areas. First of all, he says he'll make you to increase and abound in love one towards another. That's everybody inside the church. That's everybody in the family of God. 
Then he uses the word and. How many of you know what and is? And is a conjunction. How many of you remember this? Sing along. Conjunction, junction, what's your function? <laughs> Hooking up words and phrases and clauses like, In the morning I often take a walk down by the lake, where I often see a duck and a drake. And I often wonder as I walk by what they would say if they could speak. Although I know, let's sing it together. Come on, I know we're in church. Conjunction, junction, what's your function? Oh, listen to you. Oh, man, you were all heathens, weren't you? Ooh, yeah. <laughs> or I'm just a bill. I'm only a bill. And I'm stuck up here on Capitol Hill. But da, 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 da. I don't even remember that. See, I listen. I paid attention. You just, you. <laughs> oh, yeah. And is a conjunction. Joining what? Two phrases and two clauses like the Lord will make you to increase and abound in love, first of all, one toward another and towards all men. He goes on to say, to this end. It's a carrier. It's intended to take you something. It's intended to prepare you for something that's coming. To this end. That he would establish your hearts unblameable, notice, in holiness before God. Even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. You see, the Bible instructs the way we are with one another in the church and the way we are with others outside of the church has everything to do with the return of his Son. Are you listening to me here today? Go with me to Philippians chapter 2. Because once again, is it still right to live right? And if so, why? Just so I can have a good conscience? I did the right thing. I've never done that. Well, I've got to do that because if I don't, I'm going to feel bad. Anybody ever been there? If I don't, I'm going to have a guilty conscience. Why? Is it just so I can say, well, I did the Christian thing? <laughs> like one guy said, I took a vacation from being a Christian for two weeks. <laughs> what? <laughs> Well, I did, you know, I did my duty. Why? Why should I live right? Notice over here in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. This is one of those, you know, run around the building scriptures. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Pleasure. That's a refrigerator scripture, isn't it? I mean, that'll just get you, that's a dashboard scripture. That's one of those things you can put in a little box on the front of your forehead. Right? Yeah, the Lord's working in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You know, if we're not careful, we'll extract that passage out of the context in which it's contained. And by doing so, we'll miss the message that the writer intended. He goes on to say, or you could almost say it this way, because it's the Lord who's working in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure, he says, do all things without murmuring and disputing. In other words, he's saying, because it's the Lord who's working in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure, make sure you do everything without murmuring and complaining. He says, make sure you do it because it's the Lord who's working in you. Well, why should I do that? Just so, you know, I do the, my thing? Just so, you know, I, I can, uh, you know, say that I, I'm not a murmurer? Just so I can say that I'm not a complainer? He tells you in the next verse. He says that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in this world. You see, the greatest thing the Father ever did was for the world. We know that everything else he does 
will be for the world as well. I shared in the first service how I am a husband, I'm a daddy, and I am a minister of the gospel. But before I am a husband, before I am a daddy, and before I am a minister of the gospel, I am a Christian. And the Bible instructs me as a Christian how I should be and live my life. And he tells me that if I will do what he instructs me as a Christian, it will benefit me in a good way as a husband. If I do how he instructs me to, you know, be, it will benefit me in a good way as a daddy. And if I do as he instructs me to be as a Christian, you know, in a positive way, it will affect me properly as a minister of the gospel. The Bible tells us in the 8th chapter of Romans in the 19th verse that the world is waiting for a child of God to become what they were predestined to become, holy and separated unto God. He tells a woman how to treat a man so a man can see how God acts. He tells a man, a Christian man, how to treat a woman so that woman can see how God acts. He tells a parent, a Christian parent, how to treat their children so those children can look at their mommy and daddy and see how God acts. He tells a child how to treat their parents so that parent can look at their child and see how God acts. He tells an employee how to relate to an employer so that employer can look at that employee and see how God acts. He tells a Christian employer how to relate to his employees so those employees can see how God acts. He tells a Christian how to relate to a Jew so a Jew can see how God acts. He tells a Christian how to relate to an unbeliever so an unbeliever can see how God acts. And he tells a Christian how to relate to another brother or sister in Christ so they can truly see how God would act. The earnest expectation of the creatures waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. The whole world is waiting for you and I to be what we were predestined to be, holy and separated unto God. In the fifth chapter of 2 Corinthians, in the 20th, 20th verse, it says, Now then we are ambassadors, not someday in the sweet by and by, not someday yonder when this life is over. It says, Now then we are. Well, what are we now, Paul? He said, now then, we are ambassadors. Well, what's that? Is that a, you know, fancy title we put on somebody? I don't use that kind of vocabulary. An ambassador is a diplomat. And not just any diplomat. The ambassador is the diplomat of the highest degree. But he doesn't just say you and I are an ambassador or a diplomat of the highest degree. It says you're an ambassador for Christ. You are a diplomat of the highest degree that has been sent to represent heaven on the earth. He goes on to say, as though God did beseech you by us, or as though God were speaking to you through us, as if it was he himself saying it. He goes on to say, we pray you in Christ's stead, or because of Christ, that you would be reconciled to God. Well, how many of you got up this morning and said this? I mean, wives, you went to your husband, you said, honey, have you been reconciled with the children today? <laughs> or husbands, you went to your wife, you said, honey, have you been reconciled to the dog today or the cat today? Are you guys reconciled? How many of you use the word reconciled? How many of you have used the word reconciled one time in the last 15 years of your life? <laughs> you see, it's not a word that we use in our everyday vocabulary. You know what the Apostle Paul is saying to the church at Corinth here? Yeah. 
Listen to this. Because of Christ, any ambassador who is at fault before God, let him change. Why? Because the world is watching you to see what God acts like. Someone say, you know, have you ever noticed the world's not watching an atheist to see what God acts like? <laughs> have you ever noticed the world's not watching a humanist to see what God acts like? The world's not watching a Muslim or a Mormon or a Hindu or a Buddhist to see what God acts like. You don't hear that. The Bible says they're watching you. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Are you still glad you come to church today? How many of you like cake and ice cream? <laughs> How many of you like cake and ice cream sermons? This is broccoli. <laughs> now, you can eat cake and ice cream, but you can't live on cake and ice cream. You eat too much cake and ice cream, it will mess with you. <laughs> but you can live on broccoli. You can live on Brussels sprouts. This is a broccoli of Brussels sprouts. Amen. First Timothy chapter 5. Notice with me in verse 14. He says, I will, you know, Paul's you know, instructing through Timothy. I will, therefore, that the younger women marry, bear children, and guide the house. And all the women said. Amen. Yeah. He said, he said I will that all, the, all of the you know, younger women would marry, bear children, and guide the house. But how many you know that's not all that he said? He goes on to say, I will that the younger women, notice this, it's very interesting, would give no occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. For some are already turned aside after Satan. I want you to hear the heart of God through the Apostle Paul in this passage of Scripture. He's saying it is God's heart that you never give the enemy of your soul an opportunity to use you to turn somebody else away from God unto him. I'm 46 years of age. I'm in my 23rd year of full-time ministry. You'd be surprised how many people I know personally who have turned and walked away from God because of another brother or sister in Christ. And here he says, it's, he says, I will that you never allow yourself to yield to such things. Are you still with me today? Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Do I got 10 minutes in this service too? <laughs> Amen. Notice with me 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Once again, this is a, you know, this is a refrigerator scripture. This is one of those motivational ones. It you know, kind of stirs you up a little bit. Exhortates, you know, exhortational. He says, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. I mean, you could just meditate on that right there and be blessed. It will encourage you. It will inspire your walk with God. But if you extract the passage out of its context, you miss the message the writer intended. He goes on to say, Give no offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Now what we've done, rightfully so, sometimes you need to do this, but you have to be careful. We've extracted that passage out of its context to prove a point, and it's a good point. There are three kinds of people in the world. There are Jews, there are Gentiles, right? And there's the church of God. But how many of you know that's not the emphasis 
or the message the Apostle Paul is intending in these passages, though that's a true statement. He goes on to say, even as I please all men, in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Listen to the heart of the Apostle Paul. So many times we catch his message and completely miss his heart. How many of you are married? How many of you have ever said the right thing to your wife in the wrong way? <laughs> Changes everything, doesn't it? <laughs> you can say the right thing in the wrong way and it makes the right thing wrong. <laughs> See, so many times we capture the message of the Apostle Paul and miss the heart that he preached it with. Listen to this man's heart. I am very aware of what I do around everyone. And I always eat and drink and do things to God's glory. That I may never give a reason for a Jew. That I may never give a reason for a Gentile. And that I may never give a reason for another believer to turn away from God unto his enemy. But that they will always want to be saved. Go with me to Matthew chapter 18. Let's notice something there. This is an interesting principle, but I've got 10 minutes in this service, so. <laughs> you know, I like to have fun in church. When I was a little kid, I always tried to have fun in church or got in trouble. <laughs> so now, now that I've gotten, you know, bigger and I stand on this side, I think, I'll have fun over here and now I can't get in trouble. Hopefully. <laughs> Matthew chapter 18, notice verse 7. He says, woe unto this world. Because of offenses. He says there's offense in this world. You could say it's because of Adam's fall. It exists in this world, and he says, Woe unto this world because of it. He said, For it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom or through whom the offense comes. Listen to the exhortation of the Lord Jesus. Woe to the world because of offenses, but woe to the person who yields themselves to those offenses and causes another to turn away from God unto his enemy. Go with me to 2 Samuel chapter 12. Someone once said the New Testament is concealed in the Old and the Old Testament is revealed in the New. Right? Is it back there too? We've seen it in the epistles. We've seen it in the gospels. You see, there's a man in the Old Testament. His name was David. David was a young boy. And the Lord spoke to a man who stood in the office of a prophet. That man's name was Samuel. And he said, Samuel, go to the house of Jesse and anoint one of his sons to be king. So Samuel went to the house of Jesse. He said, do you have any boys? He said, yeah. He got all the boys. Listen to this. David's own father didn't believe in him. He left him out there with the sheep. Didn't say a word. Didn't say, I've got another boy. Didn't say he's out there with sheep. He said, are these your boys? Yep, these are my boys. So now Samuel's looking at the boys. See, sometimes folks underestimate what's on the inside. Don't expect everybody else to see what's in you. Don't expect everybody else to know what's in you. You say, why can't everybody see it? Because God gave it to you. Amen. And the day will come, it will come out. 
Picture David, he's up there in the mountain. His own dad didn't believe in him. His own brothers didn't believe in him. But God did. God knew what was in that boy. So Samuel, you know, he looks at the first one. He says, you know, surely looks at this. Surely this is the Lord's anointed. The Lord said, don't look at the height of his stature. Don't look at his count. I refused him. So he went to the next boy. Said the same thing. I refused him. Got through all those boys. Listen, sometimes we look at the wrong things in other people. Like I expression I said in the first verse, my mother used to say, son, that don't make a hill of beans. Sometimes we look at folks and we look at things that don't make a hill of beans. Isn't it the truth? Sometimes we, I say it this way, sometimes we're far more human than we ought to be. <laughs> so he goes through all those boys and, and he says, it's none of them. He says, you got any more? Think of that. He'd asked him already if those were his boys. And he said, yeah, now they're all gone. Well, you got any more? Well, what do you think? I went and made one while we're in the service? <laughs> You got another one? Yeah, well, he's out there with the sheep. He said, we're not going to sit down until you bring him in here. Come on. David's day came. Nobody believed in him but God. The moment that young man walked in the room, God said, rise and anoint him. That is he. There's a day that will come for what's in you to come out. Don't push it. It will come. That day came. All of a sudden, David, listen, is supernaturally anointed to be king. Now, I know this. Human nature is such. It's like they say, your greatest defeats many times come after your greatest victories. Well, why is that? Well, sometimes we just kind of, we get a little bit, you know, lackadaisical after our big victory. We kind of let our guard down. We kind of back up. Why? Because we got there. We obtained it. We reached it. David backed down. When he got over into leading the nation of Israel, all of the troops went to battle. David's, at, David's back at the throne. Well, I mean, don't all kings go to battle with their troops? They did in that day, but David didn't. He stayed home. He saw another man's wife. You know, he did something he ought not to have done. Had an illegitimate child. And he think about think. <laughs> Sometimes, you ever notice sometimes how ruthless we can be? You ever notice that? Like I said, sometimes we can be far more human than we ought to be. And so here's David. He writes a note, gives it to Uriah. It was Uriah's death sentence. Uriah then took, carried his own death sentence. Uriah was a faithful man. Uriah had a good heart. Uriah was a servant. Uriah did what was right. But Uriah was married, and David wanted what Uriah had. So Uriah carried his own death sentence to the front lines. It basically said this, put this man, Uriah, in the heat of the battle. Wherever the fiercest battle is, put him there, and when the enemy confronts you, withdraw all your men. He'll be killed. Uriah carried that message to the front lines of his own execution. That's how ruthless David became. Now, David just causes his funeral. Does a little cover-up thing. He buries the whole thing. Thinks it's done. Oh, not by all means. The same God that saw him up on the mountain saw him in the palace. Said, oh, David. And he sent another man who stood in the office of the prophet. Named Nathan. Sent him to him. There in the palace. Notice here in verse 11. He said, David, David. 
He said, evil's going to be raised up against you. He said, it's going to come out of your own house. He said, your wives are going to be taken from before your eyes and given to your neighbor. He said, they're going to lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. He goes on to say, David, you did something secret. Doesn't the Bible say the Lord seeth in secret? He said, David, you did something secretly. But he says, there's something I have to do before all of Israel and before the sun. David said unto Nathan, notice, I've sinned against you, Lord. Nathan said unto David, the Lord also has put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. But you know what so many times we miss? In that story, we miss verse 14. Notice what he says. How be it? Because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. God didn't have to show David anything. God had to show his enemies that this was a punishable offense. Are you here today? Go with me to Titus chapter 2. Oh, thank God for mercy. Thank God for grace. Sometimes we'd be so foolish. Thank God for mercy. Thank God for grace. I thank God His mercy is new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. He's faithful to that mercy. So you might walk out of here, boy, I need that mercy today. Well, praise God, you got your broccoli. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> notice, notice the second chapter of Titus and the first verse. He says, make sure you say things, I like to say it this way, that make a hill of beans. Make sure you say things that become sound doctrine. It's like a long time ago, I said, Lord, if I'm going to preach the gospel, I want to make sure it makes a hill of beans. Amen. He said, then he, he gives instructions to aged men. We got any aged men here? I, I told them not to put their hands up in the first service. Go ahead and put your hands up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he said, the aged men, he gives instructions. He says that you should, because typically we get old, you know, we become a grumpy old man, don't we? Oh, not in Idaho. <laughs> just everywhere else in the world. <laughs> Listen to his instructions. He, he basically says this. Make sure you never become a grumpy old man. Notice this. He said that the aged men would be self-controlled, honest, and disciplined. That the aged men would be sound in their faith. That they would be sound in their love walk. And that they would be sound in patience. He's giving instructions to a man as he ages. Then he gives instructions to a woman as she ages. He says, the aged woman likewise, that they be, now notice this, in behavior as becometh holiness. Well, that's odd. Why'd he put that in there? He goes on to say, not false accusers. I was sharing in the first service. I travel all over the country. You would be surprised in the last 18 months how many times I've found a woman yield to the offense in her flesh and raise up false accusations against the ministry. You'd be shocked. And yet here he specifically says, make sure you never allow yourself to yield to that. Right? Don't leave me in the tone of voice. I'm telling you the truth. Right? He goes on to say that they not be given to much wine, that they be teachers of good things. Then he says this. He gives instructions to the aged women 
when it comes to younger women. He says that the aged women would teach the young women to be sober, self-control. You know, many don't know how today. Do you know why? They were never taught. He goes on to tell the aged women to teach the younger women to love their husbands. Many know how to live with their husbands today, but they don't know how to love their husbands. You know why? They were never taught. He tells the aged women to teach the younger women how to love their children. Many know how to take their children everywhere and do everything in the world for them, but they really don't know how to love their children. Do you know why? They were never taught. He tells the aged women to teach the younger women to be discreet and chaste. You know what that means? Naive and innocent. Many today don't know how to be innocent. Do you know why? They were never taught. He tells the aged women to teach the younger women to be keepers at home. They don't know how to keep a home, know how to be good, know how to be obedient to their own husbands. Uh-oh, those are fighting words right there. <laughs> I know some people, they just want to take a big black, you know, Sharpie marker and take that right out of there, man. During the eight and a half years that my wife and I pastored, we did a lot of weddings. And so before we did the ceremony, we would do you know, pre-marriage counseling, you know, where you meet with a couple and, and share the expectations of the marriage and different things that they're going to see and just see if they're really ready to be married. And then we would always, you know, show them a copy of the wedding ceremony so that they would know, you know, in essence, how the service was going to go and the vows and things they were going to say. Well, we'd always put the fifth chapter of Ephesians in there, husbands love your wives and wives be obedient to your husbands. About 85% of all the weddings we performed, the couple would look at us and say, we want that taken out of there. And so my wife and I would look at each other because we knew either that woman has been hurt by a man or she's been influenced by somebody else who was hurt by a man. You take a little puppy dog and you buy him at the you know, pet store and you bring him home and he's licking all over your face you know, and he's getting all over your chin and your eyeballs and your ears and you take him home and you set him down and you say, I'm going to go to work now, little buddy. And you go to work and you come home and you open the door and there he is, you know, he's got his tail, his, his tail's so big and he wags his whole body you know, when he wiggles it. And his, his tongue is going up and down. You haul him, kick him right in the face. Just boot him across the room, you know. He'll come back a little bit sheepish, but he'll come back. And you boot him again. Then you go to work. You come home from work. He's sitting there a little bit shy, doesn't know what to expect from you. You boot him again. Eventually, he won't be there. You see, herd animals behave differently. God created a man to respond properly to a woman. When a woman, you know, treats him in the manner in which God would treat him in a woman. A woman will respond properly to a man when a man treats a woman in the manner in which God created a man to treat a woman. What folks have done is they've tried to insert that passage of scripture, wives be obedient to your husband, in the wrong context. You can't put that in the wrong context. It won't work. Are you listening to me? But given the proper context... That's a fantastic passage of scripture right there for marital harmony. Like Brother Hagin, you say, don't shut me down because I'm preaching real good. <laughs> you know? But notice, he doesn't stop there. Why does he tell aged men to do this? Why does he tell aged women to do this? Notice the next phrase, that the word of God be not blasphemed. He says, young, young men likewise, you know, to be, uh, exhort likewise to be sober-minded. Exhort young men to be controlled. 
In all things, show yourself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, show uncorruptness. You know, gravity and sincerity. I like to say it this way. Be the real deal. There's a huge difference between being authentic and being synthetic. Amen? Amen. I mean, those synthetic flowers look great in the wintertime. You can plant them in your front. I'm sorry, in the summertime. You can plant them in your front yard. look just like everybody else. But let the wintertime come. People will drive by your house and go, you're a sad, strange little man. (laughs) Right? Right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Be the real deal. He said, if you're going to do these things, be genuine. Be authentic. Be the real deal. He said, have sound speech that can't be condemned. Say things that matter. Why? Notice, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. He said, exhort servants to be obedient to their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again. He says, don't hold back in this area. In other words, it says not purloining in the King James text. It means don't hold back. Make sure you do this, but show all good fidelity. I remember I I shared the first service how I worked at uh, American Roofing and Sheep Metal in Tulsa, Oklahoma, when I, I, that's how I paid my way to go to Bible school. And so I was a comp roofer. And so sometimes, you know, we would work with the sheet metal department. Well, I would walk into my boss's office every single day, sometimes two or three times a day, and every single time he'd be sitting behind his desk and he'd say this, what's up? I'd look at him and I'd say, God, he's high and lifted up. His train fills the temple. <laughs> he'd kind of look at you, you know, like, you're an odd, you know, person. <laughs> I'd come in the next day, and he'd say it again, what's up? I'd say, God, he's high and lifted up. His train fills the temple. I'd come in the next day, he'd say, what's up? I'd say, God, he's high and lifted up. His train fills the temple. I'd come in the next day, he'd say, what's up? And I'd think, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say, God, he's high and lifted up. His train fills the temple. You might end up over there in the afternoon, what's up? i think, doesn't this guy get a clue? You know? <laughs> He'd say, what's up? I'd say, God, he's high and lifted up. His train fills the temple. Well, I remember one day, we were working with the sheet metal department, so we're up on the roof, you know, and there's a guy doing some copper metal work. And he's really nervous. You ever get around somebody and you can just tell they're really nervous being around you? Anybody ever had that experience? I could tell this guy is really nervous being around me. So I finally just turned and looked at him, and I said, have you ever asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life? And all of a sudden he goes, ah. And he goes, we all know you're going to witness to us. We just don't know when. <laughs> don't you love it? <laughs> well, I go back to my boss's office, and he goes, what's up? I'm thinking, <laughs> I go, God, he's high and lifted up. His train fills the temple. He literally leans back in his chair and throws his arms up, and he goes, all right, I went back to church. I didn't know this was in here. (laughs) Notice this. He said, exhort servants to be obedient unto their masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again. Don't be a back talker. Listen, we busted our tails for that guy. On purpose. I mean, no matter how much work. Man, we worked. We worked. You've ever been around construction? It's work. Don't answer again. Don't, not per line, don't hold back in this area. 
but show all good fidelity. Why? Notice this. That they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. I didn't know that was in there then. He goes on to say, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men, and it teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Why? Because that is what prepares everyone watching you for the Lord's return. Notice the very next verse. Looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar or separated people. Remember, the world's waiting for you to simply be what you were created to be, holy and separated unto God. Zealous of good works. Notice verse 15. These things speak. These things exhort and rebuke with all authority. He says, when it comes to these things, let no man despise you. Why? Because they have everything to do with the return of Jesus Christ. In 2003, the Lord laid it on our heart. My wife and I, you need to go out and minister on this. I said, you've got to be kidding me. What do I want to minister on that for? And now I realize, you know, people need broccoli and, <laughs> and Brussels sprouts and you know, some things like that. Because I need you to go out and minister on this. I'm like, okay. And so we've begun. Listen, I've heard people say things like, I haven't heard that in 50 years. People that have been around Pentecost for, you know, seems like forever. I haven't heard that in 50 years. I'm thinking, man, I got it by revelation. I never heard it either. <laughs> you know? <laughs> or someone else say, I've been saved 19 years, filled with the Holy Ghost, 19 years. I've never heard anything like that. Wow. Are you listening to me? God wants you to be holy. Why? Because God wants to see heaven full. Go with me to Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 23. I'm going to wind this down. You say, what does that mean? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> now, if I said that out there, I'd get in trouble, wouldn't I? <laughs> Ezekiel chapter 36. I've heard many people say, you know, I've read about Ezekiel's vision of the wheel within the wheel. And they've heard all these things that Ezekiel said, I've never met one person who's ever read this passage of Scripture. I was talking to a brother, he graduated from Bible school, and he's you know, in travel and ministry, and he says, I just want to travel and see miracles. He said, I want to prove to the world there's a God. And I remember looking in that, you know, that dear brother's heart into his eyes and thinking, my brother, that's a half-truth. You see, heaven knows how it needs to be. You know, let, me, let me rephrase that. Heaven knows how earth will know that God is real. He tells us right here in the 23rd verse. He said, I will sanctify my great name. He said, it was profaned among the heathen. He said, which you have profaned in the midst of them. Listen, listen to the heart of God. He's saying, guys, my name's been ruined, and you did it. 
Picture the heart of God, the mercy of God, the compassion of God. My name's been ruined amongst the heathen, and you did it. He goes on to say, the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. The Good News Bible said this, I will use you to show the nations that I am holy. Go with me to the second chapter of 1 Peter. I'm winding this down. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11, Dearly beloved, once again, so many times we capture a message and we miss the heart that preached it. He talks about yielding to the flesh here, but you know what he calls them? Brothers. You know what he calls them? Sisters. You know what he calls them? Family. You know many times how this has been represented? You backslidden, you know, get your act together. Do you realize that's nowhere in the New Covenant? Anywhere? You know, he something. go with me real quick to Romans chapter 12. I've got 10 minutes. <laughs> this will be fast. <laughs> Romans chapter 12. And then we'll come back over there. I want you to see something. Notice the first verse. I beseech you, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You know what we've done in that passage of Scripture right there? We've done this. I'm talking to you, you backslidden person, by the judgment of heaven, that you get your act together. You know that's not in there? Listen to this. I beseech you. I reach out to you because I care about you so much. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, my brother, my sister, I care about you so much. I reach out to you by the mercy of God. Not by the judgment of heaven. Not by the condemnation of heaven. By the mercy of God. That you what? Present your body. A living sacrifice. One that is holy. Separated unto God. He said why? Because it's acceptable unto him. Oh we could go in a whole other direction. He said it's acceptable unto him. And he says it's your reasonable service. He says, and don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know what we did? We extracted verse 2 out of its context. said, if I just renew my mind, I can prove the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's a half-truth. Verse 1 comes before verse 2. Peter said, if you don't, you know, if you don't put your flesh under, it will war against your soul. Boy, that's a whole other sermon right there. Come back over there to Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. I've got eight minutes. <laughs> Dearly beloved, picture the heart of these men. Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, for they war against your soul. Have your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they may speak about you or against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, notice this, glorify God in the day of visitation. Listen to the heart of God. It's his will that no unbeliever on the day of his son's return 
be able to say this. God, it's not right. God, it's not fair. You took them and left me here. God, they were rude. They were mean. They didn't reach out to me. They talked bad about me. They talked behind my back. God is not fair. And they turn and go into eternity filled with bitterness. It's his heart that every unbeliever on the day his son returns be forced to say these words. God, I am so sorry. You sent the right people to me, God. And I didn't listen. You sent the right people to me, God. They said the right things to me, and I didn't listen. They tried to help me, and I ignored them. They tried to do things for me, and I, did, I just shrugged them off. They were there for me, God. You guys had the Moore store going yesterday. Do you know what that means to people? God, I didn't listen to them. I didn't pay attention. I mocked them. I talked behind their back, but God, they were right. They weren't perfect, but they did the best that they knew how. And I knew they really cared about me, God. And he said, I rejected them anyway. And by rejecting them, I've rejected you. And on this day, I can do nothing but glorify you. That's the Father's heart. Charles Finney, in his book, God's Call, said this. How much will you take for your birthright? See, you've got a birthright in the plan and purpose of God. Not just for your life, but for this area, for this church, for this vision. You've got a birthright that was given to you by heaven. He said, how much will you take for your birthright? He said, how much will you accept for your share in Christ? What God's given to you. How much will you accept for it? He said, for how much will you sell your soul? He said, at one time he was sold for 30 pieces of silver. And ever since, the heavens have been raining tears of blood on a guilty world. He said, if you were asked by the devil to set a sum for which you would sell your soul, what would your price be named? And he goes on to talk about a guy named Lorenzo Dow. Lorenzo Dow was a circuit preacher for the Methodist Church. Traveled over a million miles on horseback preaching the gospel here in the United States. And he shared how Lorenzo Dow was riding in the forest and met a man on the trail. And he came up to the man and said, Sir, do you ever pray? The man gruffly said, No. So Lorenzo Dow looked at the man and said, Sir, how much will you take to never pray? He said, one dollar. So Dow gave him a dollar, got on his horse and rode off. That man said, the further Dow rode, the worse he felt. He said, I've sold my soul for a dollar. He said, it must be I have met with the devil, for no man would tempt me so. He said, I must repent. He said, or I could be damned forever. Guys, you got a birthright here. I mean, coming up here and seeing what the Lord has done is wonderful. It's remarkable. In seven years. You've got a birthright here. How much will you take for that birthright? 
One man sold out for a dollar. Judas sold out for 30 pieces of silver. What's your price? What's your price? Some people sell out, you know. I mean, you go to read your Bible. Like I shared in the first service, you've got three big needs in your life. They're simple. As a Christian, read your Bible, pray, and go to church. So what do I need to go to church for? Because iron sharpens iron. If you don't get sharpened, guess what happens to you? <laughs> you know, you get real dull real fast, don't you? See, there's people that you need here, but there are other people that need you here. I mean, people sell out for the weather. Well, I'm not going to go. It's too cold. They sell out for the weather. Or it's too hot. It's raining. Or there's a little snow on the ground. Eighth of an inch. <laughs> we can be far more human than we ought to be, right? Sure. Or you go to pray. Well, I need to take out the trash. Now? Right now. I take out the trash right now. Well, it's going to smell the same in an hour. <laughs> you know? Well, I need to take out the trash right now. Or you're going to go read your Bible. I need to watch the news. Right now? Like I shared in the first day, it's going to be the same tomorrow, only with different faces on it. You're selling out for the mistakes and the human activity of another human being. You're selling out your birthright to watch the human mistakes of another human being. Selling out your birthright for it. What's your price? Listen to the heart of God. He wants a believer, every believer, inside this room and outside this room, to have branded across their heart, I am not for sale. am not for sale. God, you know it. I know it. And the devil knows it. I'm not for sale. That's his heart. What's your price today? Let's bow our hearts. Father God, I want to thank you this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the Holy Spirit. Precious Holy One, there's things that you do here that I could never do. There's things you've said I could never say. There's pictures you've painted in the hearts and minds of believers and unbelievers I could never paint. But you can paint because you care about people. Because you care about the return of your son. You care about not only ourselves being ready, but everyone else being ready. For you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's your will. Father, we thank you today. And you're here this morning and you'd say this with a sincere heart.